This podcast is sponsored by Kulabula, creators of websites, animation, and digital art. To get a 10% discount, go to kulabula.com and put in the discount code AWAKENING. Hello, everybody. Our special guest today is world-renowned Dr. Thomas E. Levy, a retired board-certified cardiologist and lawyer as well, who is considered the leading megadose intravenous vitamin C and magnesium expert in the world, and who for the last 25 years has tirelessly researched and lectured worldwide, spreading the word of vitamin C's ability to reverse virtually all disease, including cancer, ARDS, heart disease, sepsis, polio, and more. Dr. Levy is the author of 11 groundbreaking books, including Curing the Incurable, Death by Calcium, Magnesium Reversing Disease, The Toxic Tooth, Stop America's Number One Killer, and his most recent book, which is a must read for everyone, uh, Rapid Virus Recovery. Dr. Levy was inducted into the Ortho Molecular Medicine Hall of Fame in 2016, alongside legends like Dr. Frederick Klenner and Nobel Prize winners Linus Pauling and Albert Svent Georgi, who discovered vitamin C. Uh, Dr. Levy, thank you for being here. It is truly an honor to have you with us, and I'm grateful to have you here. My pleasure. Happy to be here. <laughs> it's funny because the introduction was kind of about vitamin C, and I've been going, I've been reading your recent book, which I really recommend everyone read. You could get it at peakenergy.com. You could get it, get it um, on other websites. Just Google Thomas E. Levy and you'll find it. But rapid virus recovery is about hydrogen peroxide nebulizing. And, and uh, you know, the miraculous of how quickly it can help infections and stuff. So today I'd like to kind of get into vitamin C and, and hydrogen peroxide and its effects and how it's very simple and how it can help us. But I got to We got to get into you are a retired cardiologist. You graduated Tulane in 1976 as a doctor ready to save the world. And we're in a very different place today. So can you tell us just a tiny bit about that and how? How the work, how working as a cardiologist next to a dentist led you into the discovery of intravenous liquid vitamin C? Well, it was only after I was practicing cardiology in Colorado for about 15 or 16 years in Colorado Springs that I met Dr. Hal Huggins, who, in my opinion, was the first and the most significant uh, biological dentist uh, in history. I didn't know that at the time I met him, but it rapidly became apparent. And we got to know each other. And for a number of other reasons, my cardiology practice was winding down a bit due to a number of different situations. And roughly at the same time, I started having more time on my hands, which you never have if you're a full-time cardiologist. Uh, Dr. Huggins said, look, why don't you come by my clinic and see what we do? And, you know, I had a passing sense that maybe mouth problems could cause problems somewhere else, but it wasn't much beyond that. I was pretty well hammered in the traditional type of thinking that they have mainstream internists and mainstream cardiologists think, but I was open. So I went to see Dr. Huggins and my goodness, he had patients coming in from around the world, staying at his clinic for two weeks, staying in hotels, but coming to the clinic daily for two weeks, and very sick, neurological problems, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, and many other things. And I still remember 
So one day I came by, there was a little old lady in a wheelchair, really looked bad, and she proceeded to get roughly three or four hours of extensive dental treatment, extractions, you name it. I mean, the type of stuff that puts a college student to bed for a week when he gets his wisdom teeth taken out, you know? And this little lady, just as the torture of the dentistry proceeded, she got brighter and brighter and brighter and more energetic. energetic. And by the time it was all through, she wanted to have her caregiver, you know, take her out for a wonderful dinner that night on the remaining teeth that she had in her mouth. And I said, Hal walked in at that time and I said, Hal, what's going on here? Something does not compute. And he pointed at the IV. And I said, okay, I, I'm familiar with IVs. Can you tell me a little bit more? And he said, it's what's in it that counts. I'll say, okay, I'll bite Hal. What's in it? He said, 50 grams of vitamin C. And just like every other cardiologist or internist who looks at the textbooks of internal medicine that are 4,000 pages sick, thick, and don't even mention one of the most heavily researched substances on the planet. That was just a brand new concept to me. But as they like to say, I was not going to contradict or debate what my eyes were witnessing. And so I immediately said, this is something that I need to research further on myself, uh, for myself. And shortly thereafter, I gave up my cardiology practice completely and just became a consultant to Dr. Huggins' clinic. He paid me well. I had a lot of time on my hands and I, for some reason, I decided to go to law school in Denver at the same time. And then roughly four or five years later, uh, my first book on vitamin C came out and it was about four, four years worth of research. Uh, it's very heavily referenced and things have just evolved since then. It's interesting, though, uh, in putting everything in context, you, you know, you're steering toward hydrogen peroxide. Well, I had no idea at that point in time, and I didn't really have any idea until maybe the last couple of years. But hydrogen peroxide and vitamin C are natural antipathogen partners. OK, it's only through the final common denominator of hydrogen peroxide breaking down into hydroxyl radical. Uh, inside pathogen infected cells, that vitamin C has its antipathogen effect. So they work together and it's just been an amazing trip since then. And it doesn't look like the trip's ending yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's just amazing. So to break this down and distill it, what we're really saying is you were traditionally trained in allopathic normal medicine. And then you took this turn to what we would say naturally, you like to call it um, naturally uh, or scientific effective Sci medicine. Scientifically based medicine. It's called scientifically based. Medicine. I hate the expression alternative medicine. Yeah. That indicates that regular medicine is the real medicine and we're just another choice you can take. Quite the contrary. Mainstream that makes sense. medicine has little or nothing to do with science, and everything about it is designed to promote a prescription drug rather than a natural treatment or a repletion of nutrients and other factors that allow the body to heal. So, so no, we're the real medicine. I've got news for it. Yeah. So this is I want to read something from your introduction on your new book, Rapid Virus Recovery, because it, it ties into where I want to go 
with the simplistic things we're going to say about the wisdom and knowledge that you have about vitamin C and hydrogen peroxide. So this is in the introduction to rapid virus recovery. Uh, the, let me just find it here. So uh, simply put, the research game is fixed to never conclude that anything reliably causes something or that anything can ever be cured. Properly dosed and properly administered intravenous vitamin C has been curing nearly all acute infectious diseases, especially viral ones, for over 80 years now. Many different articles have documented this, its benefits in this regard, yet no current medical textbook even mentions vitamin C as a potential or possible treatment for infectious disease. So where I'm going is this, your wisdom and your books, you've written 11 books. I mean, if people just read your books, they would probably never need to see a doctor again unless for surgery or, um, or something else. But what we're, what we're trying to do here is highlight the benefits of intravenous vitamin C in curing infectious diseases, the benefits of even nebulizing hydrogen peroxide, things that are inexpensive that can really save lives. And your work with Dr. Hal Huggins, a dentist, he gave every patient vitamin C even before he knew what was wrong. And, and he was a dentist. Dr. Frederick Kleiner reversed polio in, in, the, in the late 40s using intravenous vitamin C. Linus Pauling, like you, is a member of the uh, Orthomolecular Hall of Fame for using vitamin C. So basically, it, how, how, why is vitamin C so effective? And can, where can we get it? And if, if it's not readily available, is hydrogen peroxide just as effective possibly for diseases as well? Well, depending on the disease. Vitamin C is the pivotal treatment for any medical condition because of what causes disease. What causes disease, and this may sound simplistic, but I guarantee you what causes disease is simple and what resolves disease is a lot more complex. But what causes the disease is when an excess number of biomolecules, RNA, DNA, protein, sugar, enzyme, you name it, get oxidized, which means they lose their electrons. They lose electrons. And the things that oxidize are toxins, pro-oxidant agents. Uh, these toxins are characteristic of all infections. And then, of course, you can have toxins that don't have anything to do with an infection. But bottom line is the only thing only thing that causes disease is a unique array of oxidation, okay? A Alzheimer's cell doesn't have something going on in it that's uniquely an Alzheimer's disease. It's got its own unique array of oxidized biomolecules. So that said, the only thing that restores an oxidized biomolecule to its reduced normal state is an electron donor and vitamin C is the most prominent electron donor in the body. They talk about some antioxidants being stronger, this out of the other. The thing that makes vitamin C significant is it gets everywhere in the body. It uses glucose transporters in competition to get inside the cell. It contributes two electrons per molecule rather than one. And all of these things put together make it the primary treatment for any disease because the primary treatment for all diseases is electrons. And vitamin C is your electron donor. So to put it all together then, 
Chronic diseases occur when you have an array of biomolecules that's oxidized and you continue to have new oxidation come in, usually by what we call chronic pathogen colonization in the tissue. Bottom line is though, you continue to have new oxidation while you're trying to reverse old oxidation. So the two prominent features of treating any disease is stopping new oxidation while repairing old oxidation. Follow those two principles and you'll never go wrong. Now, following those principles can get involved, okay? The most common causes of new oxidation come from toxins that come from pathogens in the mouth and pathogens in the nose and throat, which is where the hydrogen peroxide comes into play. But this is why vitamin C is the focal. And, and you know, other antioxidants can do this, but because of their chemical structure, they don't get to all the tissues in the same degree that vitamin C does. So it's very important to remember, it's not just what a biomolecule like vitamin C can do, but you also have to remember where does it go? Where can it breach? You know, large molecules and fat-soluble molecules and water-soluble molecules, they're all limited in the areas in the body that they can reach. Vitamin C has no problem getting into the brain. Matter of fact, neurons have the highest concentration of vitamin C anywhere in the body, 100-fold. I think that's, what, 10,000% higher uh, than the surrounding uh, extracellular tissue and extracellular areas. So all of these things go together to make vitamin C a foundational part of any treatment. Now, all the other good things, by good things, I mean magnesium, vitamin D, vitamin E, the B complex, they all are good because of their support of good antioxidant function. So I like to Keep in mind when people say, well, you know, what about this? What about this? Well, to the degree that they support the intracellular, the body of the matrix of antioxidants of the body, because once an antioxidant is donated electrons, it needs another antioxidant, usually of lesser importance, to regenerate it so it can continue to do its job. So this is the foundational reason why vitamin C is so important. And the primary difference between integrative or real scientifically based medicine and quote unquote modern medicine is you don't get a disease because you have a chemotherapy or a penicillin deficiency. Okay, you get a disease because you're deficient in a variety of nutrients and nutrient is just another word for an antioxidant at the molecular level. All nutrition is, is how well it breaks down to molecules that have antioxidant value inside the cells. Conversely, anything that's bad for you or a toxin or a food that doesn't get digested properly, it's bad because it breaks down to pro-oxidants at the molecular level who do more harm than good. Okay, so disease is oxidative stress. Vitamin C is the greatest antioxidant, I guess, in the in the world. But the problem is mammals, or we don't produce it, so we we uh, don't manufacture it ourselves. So we have to we have to 
get it inside our body. Somehow our our uh, immune system, I, I've heard the uh, macrophages carry vitamin C. But, you know, in order, I'm going to be a little choppy because I want to get good information out. So in terms of dosing, and we're talking about liquid intravenous vitamin C, we're not talking about capsules you take. If there's a, you know, I think um, Dr. Huggins, uh, I think he would give 50 grams to everyone. I think Linus Pauling, who was before Huggins, uh, said it has to be a minimum of uh, six grams uh, each dose, you know, or eight grams. Um, but then I've heard, you know, if you're a, if you have cancer, do you need 50,000 liquid grams twice a day? How many, you know, I know I know the scientific world wants to say, well, we can't let it we can't let it out there until we know the dose and all this. But just to simplify, and this is for informational purposes only. Um, it, you know, speak about the liquid amounts and what the body can take. And, you know, they, the scientific world is trying to say that organs can shut down or this, that, and the other. What's your experience with how much we can take liquid and what would be a good amount if someone's sick, if someone's trying to recommend and insist that their, that their father gets it in the hospital, you know, you know, insist for what, 20,000 grams minimum, you know, something like that. Interestingly enough, and this may sound on its face to be a ridiculous statement, but I guarantee you it's not, is that vitamin C is the only molecule that I know of that has no intrinsic toxicity and no capability of causing toxicity. And there's never been what's called an LD50. That's uh, where 50% of laboratory animals die at a certain dose, the LD50 of a toxin. There's never been a level above which you take vitamin C that will exert a negative effect on the human or the animal, okay? Really nothing else fits that category. Uh, I like to add to that, if you drink two or three gallons of water in about a 10 or 15 minute period, you'll get a lot of water into the brain, cerebral edema, have convulsions and die. Well, all you did was drink water and now you're dead. So that means water has toxicity too. There's nothing that doesn't have toxicity that I know of other than vitamin C. And it's because vitamin C, as we mentioned earlier, is the primary source of the fuel that runs cells, the fuel being electrons. Electron flow is current. And when you have a large amount of vitamin C and other antioxidants, you continue to pass those electrons back and forth in such a high volume that you develop what's called a microcurrent, a measurable microcurrent inside the cells. And the microcurrent that you generate uh, causes you to have a potential difference across the cells and you have micro voltages across the cell membranes. And it's been very well studied that when you have a high enough micro voltage, you have a healthy cell, and then when that micro voltage gets low enough, which is a, a reflection of a much poorer and less brisk electron flow in the cell, you have a sick cell. Uh, now, another important point to go into that you mentioned earlier that it's very important for people to understand, have docs too, all of us, is that humans suffer from an epigenetic defect in their liver that they share with uh, primates, guinea pigs, and fruit bats. Just about all the other wild animals have a normal functioning liver with regard to synthesizing vitamin C from glucose. 
the glucose, when you have the four enzyme sequence correct in your liver, it takes glucose and turns it into vitamin C that gets released directly into the bloodstream. Now, it's also been shown that in animals that make vitamin C like this, that when they get a big oxidative challenge, which is toxin or infection, the vitamin C level shoots up. So the liver compensatorily starts making and internally secreting large amounts of vitamin C to deal with that infection. Whereas in the human being, unable to make the vitamin C, you get the exact opposite picture. You get subjected to an oxidative stress or infection. And so it's not making more vitamin C. So all you see is a steady decline in vitamin C because it's just using up the vitamin C that's there and you don't have a liver that's able to reflexly make it. And I might add, without going into a lot of detail, because I don't want to get too sidetracked here, is it's mm. very also important to remember, and this is something I've been taking for seven years now, and I've worked with it and done some research with it. There's a polyphenol, uh, and it's in a product called Formula 216, Formula 216. And the website is formula216.com. Okay. When you take this, so far in all the people that we've seen, maybe some 25 now, or that we've, we've got information on, it quickly overcomes the epigenetic defect and allows the body to make vitamin C. So it's, I mean, I consider it um, the most significant supplement in the history of medicine, okay? Because wow. we've just said the pivotal role that vitamin C has in all diseases the only thing I can't guarantee is whether you'll fall into the category that responds to it, okay? So far, in a very limited number of people, we've seen everybody respond well in terms of increasing their vitamin C levels. Now, if a 1,000 people take it, I don't know how many won't have that effect. But even if you don't have that effect, there's a lot of stuff in the product, and it's a good, healthy supplement to take anyway, even okay. if you're unfortunate enough to fall into the category where it might not work in the way I'm talking about. Okay. Now, that said, with that background information, you were asking, how much vitamin C should I take for X, Y, and Z? Well, regular oral vitamin C is very poorly absorbed. And I just told you, like a, a goat that weighs about 150 pounds, a small human being, it'll secrete directly into the blood seven, eight, nine grams a day. So that goat is giving itself a steady infusion of vitamin C and it can go up to 40, 50 grams in the face of an acute infection. Now, in order for you to have eight grams delivered into your blood, you're talking about taking mm, 20, 30 regular grams of vitamin C orally because it's not well absorbed. Okay, so... This is, so basically it's very difficult to overdo vitamin C orally, except to the degree that it might cause a loose bowel and osmotic diarrhea from taking too much. So that's where the benefit comes in from the intravenous. Uh, the, all the intravenous that you infuse gets into the blood. And we've seen many, many great things. But the more direct answer to your question is, Everybody has a different degree of oxidative stress. And we're talking 
mathematics here. You have this much toxicity and oxidation, you need this much antioxidation. So there is no one size fits all, but because it's completely non-toxic without identified toxicity, you give what it takes to get the clinical response you're looking for. Finally, that said too is we also have liposome encapsulated vitamin C, which, and this sounds incredible, but gram for gram, even though you take it orally, it's inside a little artificial cell of, of lipids with a, with a wall around it that's identical to the cell walls in your body. So it gets completely absorbed, but it's not just a question of getting into the blood. Once it's in the blood, it then gets inside the cell. So you see studies where they look at blood levels. Well, that's apples and oranges. With, with, with the liposome encapsulated vitamin C, it's going inside the cell. And we've had studies that show that this works, okay? And it goes in that way. When people say, what's better? I say, well, it's best to take both. I said, but, 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 but. If you give me the option of not 50 grams of vitamin C, but five grams of vitamin C intravenously versus five grams of liposome encapsulated vitamin C taken orally, I'll take the liposome encapsulated orally. Obviously, I want both, but that's how I, I mean, your target, we talk bioavailability in the blood. That is bioavailability for some agents. But bioavailability for vitamin C means inside the cell. That's the measuring stick as to whether or as to how bioavailable the product that you're taking is. Not does it get it into the blood, but does it get it into the cell? That's your target. So, and I, I need to quickly add too that uh, this causes a lot of problems. And I know I'm throwing around brand names, but the company I've worked with for 15 or 16 years, Live On Labs, they really make the only legitimate liposome product that I know of. Okay, all the homemade liposomes, mm -hmm. there's no liposomes, and most of the other companies that say they have a liposome product just do that because Live On Labs has been wildly successful for 15 years and they want to jump on the bandwagon. Okay, so liposomal or liposome vitamin C has, it doesn't need a uh, transport mechanism. It goes right into the cell and it's very effective. And that that's something you take orally in a capsule. Mm -hmm. But if you're- Actually oral in a little gel. Yes. Okay, so this is a general question I have. Um, I know I read that quote and um, essentially, is that me? <laughs> Sorry. No, that's, that's a doorbell there. Oh, okay. My question is, because it's not protocol for hospitals to use liquid intravenous vitamin C because it hasn't been tested or whatever the excuse is. If you're, let's just say this is someone's watching and their father's sick and he has sepsis or even cancer and they go in and insist, I want liquid intravenous vitamin C. I mean, can the, does the hospital have it? Can they give it? I mean, what, you know, what Very goes few. on? Very few. And, I uh, didn't know we'd take this track, but it's a good one to take. And that is the majority of mainstream doctors who work in intensive care units 
pulmonologists that lead the unit deserve to go to jail. Okay? Because they never refuse vitamin C because they tell you it's not doing what they say. They say, I don't use that. I'm not going to use that. Give me 50 papers. It doesn't matter. This is my freaking ICU. And when the patient dies, they deserve to go to jail for negligent manslaughter or negligent homicide. That's how powerful vitamin C is. And that's how incredibly arrogant, and I'll use the word, evil, these caretakers of the intensive care unit are around the world. Uh, I've seen a handful of exceptions in the last 10 years because I this is one of the most common things I get in my email every day is no Europe, uh, South America, United States, my father, mother, brother, sister is dying in the intensive care unit. It has sepsis and we want to give them vitamin C. How do we do it? The only way you do it is with a lot of money and a high-powered lawyer that makes it clear, Dr. X, if you don't do this and the patient dies, you will be sued directly for negligent manslaughter of this patient. That's the only way. Until things change, uh, and I will say this, um, this is one very significant unintended positive consequence of the pandemic is we definitely have more people on the planet and especially in the United States taking vitamin C than ever before. And also magnesium, vitamin D, zinc, quercetin, and a few other things. But hell, even, even freaking Fauci admitted two years ago he takes a gram of vitamin C. Surprise, surprise. The Son of a gun knows exactly what's going on, but that's another story. We won't get too political. People can figure out their politics for themselves, and and if you think everything is being done for the benefit of the health of the people, well, go drink another gallon of Kool Aid because you're not paying attention. All right, so we've determined intravenous liquid vitamin C is the greatest antioxidant on earth. We don't make it. We don't make this, but we need it to heal. Right. But we really can't get it. So let's move on to <laughs> hydrogen peroxide, because I'm reading your book, uh, Rapid Virus Recovery, and everyone has to read this book. This is like a must read. You, the way you write, it's the layman can understand it, and it, it, everything's documented. So before I pass you on, hydrogen peroxide is not only a nutrient that we need, it's non-toxic. It's selective. It doesn't hurt good cells. It attacks pathogens. It works with vitamin C. It can be inhaled. Uh, a $10 nebulizer can do wonders because the viral loads start in the nose and the throat. The back of the throat is like a Petri dish. And if you get to it early and clear the throat and the nose, you can really, you can save yourself from getting sick, essentially, from anything. So where I'm going with this is basically amounts, doses, because I, I was reading and I was, you know, people have to know, this is a warning, food grade hydrogen peroxide is, is recommended because it's very pure. And it's not the brown stuff you buy at the chemist or the pharmacy. So, but food grade, although it's not toxic in concentrated form, you have to know how to handle it. It could burn your skin um, and things like that. So I'm, I'm telling people you don't, you take it diluted, 
But what I saw in, in the reading was you, you said you could actually nebulize 3% attending, you know, based on the, I guess, the person. Right. But you don't even need to dilute 3%, but you don't want to nebulize 12% no, food grade hydrogen peroxide? Never. You, you never want to go above 3%. Okay. okay. So if you're really sick and you can take it, you would say, well, you know, what, for three days you could nebulize 3% undiluted or just two days or... Absolutely. Well, let me tell you, I have family in Columbia, South America. So about two years ago, I was visiting family and one of my wife's friends had a cold and I had already been working with hydrogen peroxide nebulization for a couple of years for myself, my own problems. The pandemic hadn't hit yet. And she got over a cold so fast and stopped coughing with the hydrogen peroxide nebulization. And she wanted to help family and friends, I said, fine, you know, keep the nebulizer, keep the peroxide. And then came back and that last visit was about three months before the pandemic started. Well, fast forward about a year and a half and I go back down there and uh, I see this, this lady again. And in the meantime, during the pandemic, she has treated 20 patients with COVID with the peroxide nebulization, many of them had the positive test and the rest had the same symptoms. Nearly all of them, this is important, were severely short of breath, which if you're not on a good treatment and ozone, a vitamin C, whatever, if you're already short of breath, you're ready to die at any point in time. That's, I mean, once COVID goes to a severe shortness of breath and you're not doing anything to intervene, you're dead. Well, she proceeded to go through her own protocol. I, I, I give her a pat on the back. She gave the 3% for a half an hour, three times a day for five days. And most of them found the 3% a little bit of off-putting, but they started breathing easier so quickly they didn't want to take a lower percentage. They said, no problem, I'll deal with it, okay? In the last couple of days, she cut it down to one and a half percent. Now, all 20 were completely cured in five days. Now, the really important part here is, and I would have never had this information available to me, except for this unique circumstance, is I don't have a clinical practice, but if I had 20 COVID patients that I was treating right now, I could not ethically give them just hydrogen peroxide nebulization and nothing else to see how good it works. I'd be giving them vitamin C if I could get ozone, I mean, doing everything. Well, here was a situation where this was all they had, but it proved the point that yes, vitamin C, uh, hydrogen peroxide nebulization works very effectively as a standalone monotherapy. Now, that doesn't mean, obviously, if you have your peroxide nebulization and you have vitamin C and everything else, you take it all. But don't think for a second that you're not going to get a profound impact with just the hydrogen peroxide nebulization. Wow, that's just awesome. So just to crystallize that before I pass you on, a nebulizer can be, it's tiny, handheld, 10 bucks, 15 bucks. If if you get 3% food grade hydrogen peroxide, you put it in, you nebulize it, it gets in your lungs, it clears the viral loads in the back of the throat and the nose, and it could stop something from getting very serious. And if I will you, say, it's, it's, it, yep. from a practical point of view, this is something that's evolved to 
Little handheld ones are fine, but they break down easy. They need to be cleaned well. And, and really, especially if you're family or something like that, you, you just buy the little regular nebulizer. All it is is an air compressor, an air pump, okay? Uh, and battery powered or plug it in. And then the little nebulizing tube is stuck to that. It's it's a whole lot better investment for the money. Okay. You know, if you're uh, if money's no problem and you want to continue to buy a new little handheld every six months or so, well, that's fine. But these little air pumps, uh, you know, you got to sit still. You can't go walking around with it. But that's that's the way to go. People are always saying, "What brand?" Brand doesn't matter. These are, like I said, simple air pumps. And I'm okay. not aware of any any manufacturer that makes, and they all run about thirty or forty dollars. You okay. have so the tinier you make them, you can get on up toward eighty, ninety, a hundred dollars as you, as the their little air pumps get tiny, and you can make them more portable. But a a regular standalone one is about thirty or thirty five dollars. Okay, so just one more thing. So um, in terms of diluting food grade hydrogen peroxide, I'm using distilled water. I hear saline's better from what I read with uh, in your book. You can actually make your own saline. But uh, where I'm going with this is I'm using 1%, 3% to four parts distilled water. I think, it, would you say that's a very weak solution or that's that's fine for... Well, 3% three, 3% hydrogen peroxide with three parts water. In other words, one cc of peroxide and then three cc's of water, you know, you're looking at a... 3% divided by four or one, one point something or, or, or point. Oh, I see. Uh, so yeah, it dilutes okay. it. Yeah. It's linear yeah. dilution? Uh, yes. And, but let okay. me say this. Um, a little more information since the book was written is water by itself can have an aggravating effect on the throat and make it a little easier to cough. Saline has a more calming effect. And actually, I tell you, look, what, what did grandmother used to tell you when you have a cold, you know, just a gargle with a little salt water. So the chloride ion, because magnesium chloride does the same thing, the chloride ion is a very good antipathogen as well. Now, it appears to be even better as the saline becomes hyper-concentrated. So you start at normal saline, you can go online, how do you make normal saline? You'll see a simple formula, no problem. But an easy way to do it is just to, if you have your nebulization chamber, okay, and you have, um, and it's distilled water, you just put a little pinch of, yeah, maybe say uh, an eighth or a sixteenth teaspoon of, of, of salt, sodium chloride into that, uh, and then add your peroxide, and then you're there. And it actually, in my clinical experience with myself and a few friends, these are not studies, uh, that appears to work even better. Wow. And Fantastic. also, because of the saline being hypertonic, it pulls water out and makes it easier to mobilize secretions if you already got something locked in that you're trying to clear out. Gotcha. So... Before I pass you to Roy, we're talking about diluting 3% or 12% food-grade hydrogen peroxide. Saline's a preferred thing, but if you don't have saline, you could add some salt to right. your distilled water. Right, right. Okay. Sodium chloride, table salt, yes. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, 
Dr. Levy, such incredible information. Your books are a must read, peakenergy.com. And here's Roy. Thanks, Dave. Hi, Dr. Levy. Um, so I know you mentioned about the doctors uh, previously, and I know that I've read uh, part of your thing where you were saying about the kickbacks. And I think it's kind of relevant that people know how much they were getting during the COVID and probably still something like 39,000. Well, the profits, I mean, I don't know why people get so shocked. It's kind of like, for example, a politician can tell lies, 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 and they later prove them to be lies, but then a new situation develops and the politician says X, Y, or Z, and they believe it. It's, 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 liars don't suddenly become honest, all right? Now, you know, people don't like to hear this, but the vast majority of doctors primary and overriding motivation are two things. Uh, respect and esteem, they want to be held in high regard in the community, and money. And they do not, let me repeat that, they do not put the health of their patient as their number one concern. Okay? That's as simple as I can make it. And you know, in the law, I'm a lawyer as well, I don't practice, but they have a concept in the law where if you get a client in a certain legal area that you didn't really study in law school, the law expects you to do the due diligence study to bring yourself up to snuff in that area of law to take care of your client. We don't do that in medicine. Doctors say, well, if I don't know it, it's not important and I'm not going to learn it. They think that their medical diploma is their certification that they no longer have the need or desire or obligation to ever think again. I mean, all they do is protocols. And really, a computer could do a better job. I mean, the patient can fill out their symptoms and the computer won't miss anything on the differential diagnosis, and then they'll give you a probability of this disease, this disease, and then these protocols. I guarantee you, 95% of the doctors don't have anything to add to that. So, you know, the way modern technology goes, the lack of academic interest in the part of such physicians they may well drum themselves out of existence. I guarantee you one thing, and it goes directly to what you just said, Roy, which is among the unintended consequences of this pandemic, modern, and I say modern in quotes, quote, modern, unquote, medicine has damaged itself so badly. And there are so many people now that have completely lost their faith in medicine and their doctors, which they should have done. It's a perfectly appropriate thing to lose. Now, uh, a lot of times when I do talks like this, they say, well, Dr. Lee, do you have any final things to say? Well, I'll say my final thing right now, which is if you don't do your own study and your own due diligence and your own research, it's only you that's gonna suffer. If you go to any physician 
and the physician doesn't want to spend any time with you, won't answer your questions or brushes you off like some sort of imbecile, don't walk out of that office, run out of that office, okay? Uh, your physician, your healthcare provider should be your partner. And he, she should be more than happy to discuss what you've discovered online and, you know, well, what about this and what about this? Could this help? Blah, blah, blah. The sad thing is, and I've experienced this myself earlier in life for a situation I won't describe in detail, which is when somebody has pain or somebody is sick, they're also one other thing. They're scared. They're always scared. And when you're scared, you don't want to think, you don't want to do research, you don't want to do anything except put your health in the hands of somebody else and trust that they're going to take care of you. And that's the unfortunate thing that modern medicine has going for it is patients either are scared and don't want to think, or they don't have the motivation to think, or, and this is less common, they don't have the capacity to think. But most people, if they put their mind to it, this, believe me, and this amuses me too about the pandemic is uh, all these people always just claim to, well, I'm not a doctor, but, or they said, hey, look, doctors don't have the corner on the market of reading a straightforward scientific paper and seeing the conclusions that come out of it. But we've still got the media and the public at large pigeonholed into this corner of they think that, well, even if I read the paper, I don't have the capacity to understand what it says. Well, let me tell you, once you decide that you don't have the capability of thinking a thought that nobody else has ever thought, it will never happen. Excellent. And just going on a slightly different tangent. <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, that's uh, why you, I said we're free floating. I mean, I, I'll, I'll go whatever direction you want to go. Uh, so you know, you you've qualified as a, a lawyer. Just wondering because I I'm I I've had a lot of cases and I I see all the courts like it's so much corruption, and I'm kind of going down the common law, the UCC route. Is that something that you've looked at yourself? No, not in any great degree, uh, any great detail. The only thing I've done that's remotely legal since I got my license is about, I've done some expert witness analysis on about six or seven cases regarding vitamin C and regarding what was accused of being inappropriate dental care for extracting highly toxic and infected root canals that the mainstream considered to be perfectly good teeth. but. No, beyond that, I haven't. Uh, I haven't uh, gone too much in the legal issues. Okay, and like getting to the moat, um, like because there's a few things. Like I got, uh, I had four mercury fillings, and I had them removed. And basically, the way that it was done, it was like rubber put around my mouth, extra suction, and everything. Right. So, I mean, obviously, you know, with your cooperation with the dentist, you probably realize the dangers of mercury in the body. Yes, and that's what I was involved with a great deal with Dr. Huggins some 25 years ago, and we wrote a book together on it. But Dr. Huggins realized this too. It just didn't receive the emphasis that it does now. And that is the most important contribution to toxicity and oxidation and disease in your body comes from focal infections in your mouth. 
So a lot of people, obviously, they don't like the dentist. They don't want to go to the dentist. They don't have enough money for the dentist. I mean, they can come up with a million and one reasons. And every now and then, you know, somebody will say, well, uh, I've read what you what you've written, Dr. Levy, and I've got uh, a root canal and eight mercury fillings. Said, I can't afford to get everything done. What should I do? And I say, well, leave the mercury alone and get the root canal taken out. That's that's the sledgehammer of toxicity. Now, in and of itself, mercury is definitely the most toxic, non-radioactive heavy metal in existence. But it comes out slowly in vapor and does cause a lot of long-term problems. I mean, it's almost always underlying the pathology of people that have multiple sclerosis, for example. Uh, and we would see a substantial reversal of many patients, even with advanced multiple sclerosis, when they got the mercury out and the root canals and the other infected teeth, I actually saw a handful of mercury, excuse me, of multiple sclerosis patients who hadn't gotten out of their wheelchair in years, take a few halting steps at the end of two weeks. So these things, the thing that Huggins did to me is he didn't augment my medical education. He began my medical education. So, right. and I, I don't know, like, have you kind of discussed? I presume you might have, but like, when I'm at a dentist, no, you know, they make all the molds and everything. They're putting all this gel. I'm just so conscious of the toxins of the gunk they're putting in your mouth, making you press because everything that you put in your mouth is basically being absorbed. Well. You got to remember, though, you got to give that little balance. You do something one time for something that's going to be in your mouth for 20 years. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, I've been paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing about it, and uh, I wrote a book on this called Hidden Epidemic. This is going to be a major sidebar, but very, but actually, believe it or not, it wraps back into the hydrogen peroxide. And that is that I'm a cardiologist. Don't ask another cardiologist about this because he or she doesn't know. I'm not saying that makes me great. I'm just saying they don't know and they don't want to know. That's the other important part, too, because it's going to change the way they have to practice. And this is 100% of coronary atherosclerosis, the, the buildup of plaque, or at least 100% in one study. 100% is due to chronic pathogen colonization, using up the vitamin C, causing an acute inflammatory reaction. And in a study where they went in and they scraped out plaque from people with coronary artery disease and examined the plaque, they found over 50 different mouth pathogens inside the plaque. And they found it in 38 out of 38 patients that they looked at. And as I like to say somewhat sarcastically, that's pretty close to 100%. You do not develop coronary atherosclerosis until you've completely used up all the vitamin C in the cell, in, 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 the, uh, in the vessel wall. And roughly 70 to 80% of all breast cancers come from these same infected teeth, but they're draining in the lip going down to the breast and we've seen the same pathogens isolated in both uh, benign and malignant breast lesions. So this means well over 99% of all 
breast cancer oncologists, cardiologists, and internists, and general practitioners are practicing malpractice on a daily basis because they're not examining the mouth. The mouth must be examined, period, period. Yet how many cardiologists are doing it? Guess what? One of the, the studies that I just told you is in the cardiology literature, believe it or not. But you need what's called a 3D cone beam examination of the mouth because all the regular x-rays don't cut the, don't cut the mustard. These clearly identify any tooth that's abscessed. And amazingly enough, all root canals are infected, 100%. But most adults beyond a certain age, 50, 55, will have one or more chronically abscessed teeth. And it's just as toxic as a root canal. It may be even more toxic. And this is why, in addition to the human being being unable to make vitamin C to deal with this, this is why we consider good health when we're 55 to be having two or three diseases well-controlled with five or six prescription medications. That would, that's what we consider good health. No, good health is no disease and no prescription drugs. That's what good health is. But nearly everybody has these infected teeth. Here's another one for you. The ENT doctor, the ear, nose, and throat. It almost sounds like he, the ENT doctor is deliberately trying to avoid the mouth yet he's surrounding the mouth. Well, guess what? Chronic sinusitis, a real meat and potato issues for the ENT doctor, you know, real, real money maker there, you know, surgeries, antibiotics, you name it, nonstop visits for the rest of somebody's life. Over 70% of chronic sinusitis patients have one or more infected teeth in the maxilla abutting the floor of the sinus and oftentimes dissolving the bony wall of the sinus floor. And this is what causes the chronic pus and mucus levels in people with chronic sinusitis. Yet how many ENT doctors do this examination of the mouth? Now, I'll rapidly say that there is some ignorance here. All right, definitely ignorance. And I'm not going to immediately say that all cardiologists are, are against having the mouth examined. They just don't have a clue that the mouth is causing any problems because they live inside their own self-constructed bubble. But that doesn't mean that they don't have the obligation to actually read their own freaking literature. That's the other thing you, you talked about the beginning of that book where we talked about researchers I said there appears to be in all of the medical and scientific literature a tradition in an unwritten rule of inconclusion. Never reach a conclusion, no matter how clear cut the data is, and God forbid, never make a recommendation based on a clear cut clinical study. Back in 1950, they had eight patients written in the New England Journal of Medicine on rheumatic fever, given vitamin C. And they did a little case report on each one of the eight patients. In each one of the eight patients, they gave vitamin C in various amounts. Fever came down, all manifestation gone. Infectious disease, it was gone. So they cured 
eight out of eight acute rheumatic fever patients with vitamin C. What was the conclusion? The conclusion was this study appears to suggest that vitamin C might have anti-rheumatic activity. We recommend further studies be done. And that's the rule. That's not the exception. And I, I've watched one of your videos earlier today. And when I was younger, I used to have a load of um, you know, chest infections, whooping cough and everything. And they took out my tonsils and adenoids. And up to today, I was kind of going, yeah, if it's in my body, it's there for a reason. And they should never have cut that away. But I think you might have, because uh, you've talked about the tonsils, yeah. The tonsils, the tonsils are the hidden assassin in every sense of the word. When you're young and you have tonsillitis, the tonsils get all big and red and little pus sites there. I mean, tonsillitis in the old person is completely different. And this is where, when you have the root canal, when you have the infected tooth, when you have the infected gums, the tonsils are draining those infections 24-7. And nobody has any infected teeth in their mouth and normal tonsils. Also, when you extract the infected teeth and you don't either extract the tonsils or treat the tonsils, that's another major source of unaddressed infection. And the reason it's the silent hidden assassin is because when you infect them from within, they don't enlarge and they don't look abnormal and they don't hurt. But we have evidence from Dr. Joseph Issels back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s in Germany. He would routinely take the tonsils out only because he had advanced cancer patients. His treatment worked, but a large number of them still had heart attacks. And somehow in his brilliant mind, he determined it was due to the tonsils. And so he started, and I'm not making this recommendation, routinely doing tonsillectomies as well to taking all the infected teeth out. Not only did the patients do great, not only did they no longer have uh, any heart attacks ongoing, but in Dr. Issel's own words, 100% of the tonsils that he ex had extracted were severely and grossly uh, abscessed and fibrosed on pathology. Now, the good news is and I don't think this is available back when, back, back when Dr. Issels was doing this, the good news is direct injections of ozone gas into the tonsils pretty much clears them up completely. And very easy to do, takes a couple seconds, a little bit uncomfortable, passes quickly. You just need a dentist that deals with ozone. There's a limited but growing number of these because the ozone is incredible in just helping deal with healing after uh, infected teeth are extracted and everything else. It's, uh, it's incredible. It's incredible stuff. I, I had a little painful abthus, abthus, abthus ulcer on my gum about a month ago. I didn't realize it was that. I was afraid I was getting an infected tooth. And my dentist looked at it and said, oh, you got a little abthus ulcer, which is secondary to a variety of different infections, virus, you name it. And they characteristically are very painful and they characteristically take a long time to go away. 
Well, all he did was blow ozone gas, not inject it, just blow the ozone gas on the aphthous ulcer for uh, about half a minute. And the pain disappeared completely and I couldn't find any evidence of it the next day. So once you kill the pathogens and anything that's infected, the healing goes just like that. Fascinating. Uh, just before I pass it to Grace, just because uh, I, I heard you talking about the free radicals as well, and it's not a band, even though it sounds like a good band name, but you might talk about free radicals, what they are and how we can get them out of our body. Well, it's important to know so the literature likes to confuse us by everybody uses something different to refer to something. A toxin is a prooxidant, is a free radical, is a poison. They all do their damage by taking electrons away from biomolecules. So the only thing that's slightly different is they have another expression called reactive oxygen species which is close to this, but different because hydrogen peroxide is a reactive oxygen species, but it doesn't oxidize until you put it in the right microenvironment with pathogens, a lot of iron, electron donor like vitamin C, then, then the peroxide does its job. They, they have an incredible little video about a minute and a half long. Guy has a test tube. He has a vitamin C solution in it. Then he adds... 50% hydrogen peroxide, nothing happens. It just sits there, sits there, sits there. Then he adds a little bit of iron and it just explodes like a volcano. So that's what your body does when you get the vitamin C together with the hydrogen peroxide and then add a little iron. And guess what? Pathogens have a ton of iron. They feed on iron. They propagate on iron. So they're always sources of iron in addition to the iron that's already present in your cell. Same thing with cancer cells. Cancer cells feed on iron. Okay, so that was sort of a sidetrack from your question, but basically free radical is prooxidant. And so prooxidant toxin. Let me also add a toxin has no way of harming you, no matter what the toxin is, unless it oxidizes or causes something to be oxidized. If the final common effect of the toxin isn't to oxidize something, it has no toxicity. So with iron, like supplements, we shouldn't be taking oh, them. Oh, never, 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 never. Never supplement calcium, never supplement iron. Like, never I didn't know that. Like, I, I have iron. Like, I, it was today that I found out, you know, when I was listening to your stuff. Okay, like I, okay. I just assumed that that was good and we actually needed it. Calcium, iron, and copper are what I call the three toxic nutrients. You absolutely need them for life in limited, tiny amounts. And I say tiny for calcium, too, because calcium, they talk about, oh, osteoporosis, your body is depleted of calcium. No, your bones are depleted of calcium. The rest of your body has a calcium excess. And that's the most direct parameter of disease that there is, is the calcium level inside a cell. The higher it goes, the higher the oxidative stress, the more quote-unquote disease. And when it gets high enough, it undergoes malignant transformation and turns into cancer. And when it goes even higher, then you have apoptosis, too much oxidative stress, and the cell dies. But I have another book called Death by Calcium that uh, I, I give away now. 
uh, just just the data though, not the book. And I think it's one of the more stunning titles because it's not an exaggeration. It's death by calcium. Calcium in supplemental form is a carcinogen. And it not only causes cancer, but it promotes all other diseases because the final common pathophysiology is increased calcium inside your cell. And this is why magnesium, another book I wrote, Magnesium Reversing Disease, is so magnificent because magnesium and calcium are yin and yang. You can't have high levels of both. You can't have low levels of both. One pushes the other down. So, which is why magnesium supplementation decreases all-cause mortality, decreases your chance of death from anything because it's affecting all the cells in your body in a positive fashion. And I just because uh, regarding detoxifying and everything, because I know you mentioned about the infrared sauna, something that I use a lot myself. Like, is that one of the better ways? And is there anything else that can, people can be doing to, you know, get rid of all the gunk out of their bodies? That's excellent. The important thing about the infrared, though, is to realize that in addition to getting rid of a lot of toxins, you excrete a lot of magnesium and potassium. So you have to be especially diligent about your magnesium and don't overdo the potassium potassium can be toxic but you don't want to be deficient in, in in potassium either so as much magnesium as you can tolerate and a limited amount of uh potassium uh i mean people just think if it's a little good a lot is better no <laughs> potassium will kill you very quickly if you take too much so it just but like i said you don't want to be potassium deficient so just take a, a regular potassium supplement a day now the so anything that induces a sweat so that's good the other good way of getting rid of iron and excess calcium and excess or oh, another toxic metal is inositol hexaphosphate ip6 we have something in most of our foodstuffs called ip6 which is inositol and typically, it's already, by, it's got six binding sites. And in, as it occurs in nature, it's bound to four calciums and two magnesiums. And so this sort of freaks people out when you take that after reading Death by Calcium. Oh, my God, I'm taking something with a lot of calcium in it. Yes, but it's calcium that stays put. The calcium binds tightly, the magnesium doesn't. So the magnesium comes off, so the IP6 serves not only as a magnesium supplement because the magnesium comes off, but then it binds iron and it binds calcium and other toxic heavy metals. Uh, and uh, you take it on an empty stomach and it binds up what you uh, wanna bind up and then you excrete it. Very, very non-toxic, very, very effective. Usually 500 to 1500 milligrams a day. But you take it first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. It, it, otherwise, if you eat it with food, it'll just start binding up the stuff in the food. Listen, this has been fascinating. Thank you very much. I'll pass you on to Grace. Hi, Dr. Levy. Hola. Why don't we just clone you and put <laughs> you in all the different ICUs? Because <laughs> I, I would have loved to work with you. So I worked in ICU for 20 years and before that also in the community and then after that now on my own practice. 
but I was already aware, awake and holistic when I went to ICU. But I thought, let me make my holistic role inside the ICU. But most of the time, what I've just done in that is just adding some modalities like, uh, you know, the aromatherapy, knowing nutrition. So I did that. But of course, as you said, we haven't really promoted or I think maybe just one or two times that I remember that I gave an vitamin v, vitamin C IV in a lot in a small little piggyback. However, we tend also they tend to also give that through the incorporation of the hyper IV nutritional the TPN right. Right, the I, hyperalimentation. Okay. Hyperparenteral yeah. nutrition. However, it's really minuscule. It's nothing. So I'm with you when you said that, you know, all about the intensivists and working with people who work in ICU. But I well, mean, let me say one, one interesting thing, and, and I've mentioned it many times, and I don't know, nobody seems to pick up the ball and run with it, which is they have vitamin C blood tests, vitamin C blood levels. Now, if you do a vitamin C blood test on an ICU patient, nearly all of them are going to be low, low to non-existent. Now, if you have a vitamin C level that's below normal, why is that not enough validation to give vitamin C in the ICU? So you actually, I mean, obviously, it must have meant something to measure the vitamin C. If you're not going to be concerned, if the test comes back slow, why are you doing the test? So uh, I just bring that out because for the minimally open-minded physician, that can be enough to coerce him or her to at least let loose with a few grams of vitamin C. I mean, Forget about 50 grams, but really, if you could just get a lot of these ICU patients a couple grams every eight to six hours, it's going to make an enormous amount of difference no matter what's going on. Yeah, I, I agree. And then, and that was really a, uh, another thing that I was going to ask you is in terms of the vitamin C test, you know, for people. Because like, how, what can you advise to the people listening now? or in the future, you know, of what they can really strongly recommend to their physicians, especially if they're going for the regular, let's say, blood test. I know it's kind of asking too much for them to uh, uh, test more than just the hemoglobin. And the, the, it's even crazy when you ask them to test the vitamin D or vitamin B. So how can you, what, what can you say so that you empower? Well, people? I mean, if you want to make the assumption that you're dealing with an open-minded physician, you got to start there because if you don't have that, you can make all the recommendations you want. And you'll just get a sneer and a snort. But the thing is, is if you're in the position, you get all those tests before they even see the physician. And then he or she has to deal with the results. That's, that's one. The other thing too, and I didn't mention it, and but it, I guarantee it applies to all the ICU and the CCU patients, incredibly appropriate. Uh, and and it might not be, or you wouldn't get it done, obviously, if they're in the ICU. This has to be something 
a part of their workup. But everybody with any disease needs a 3D cone beam examination because if you have an abscess tooth, you're missing completely the one thing you can do that will completely turn around that person's health, including cancers, including neurodegeneration, including every disease under the sun, because going back to rapid virus recovery, I put out there, and there's some evidence in a limited number of diseases, they haven't tested all the diseases this way, but the tissue of the, the tissue involved in the affected condition is going to have chronic pathogens colonized from the mouth. That's the only way. Remember, we talked about all disease being new oxidation and repair old oxidation. Well, if you don't have any new oxidation coming in and you stay on wonderful supplementation and diet, you should be able to cure every chronic disease there is because all you're doing is repairing. But by definition, for it to be chronic, there has to be ongoing pro-oxidation. And this is virtually 100% pathogens that are colonized in the tissue that's being affected. Being fed by an abnormal microbiome, a leaky gut, the swallowed pathogens and toxins promoting that, and the chewing down on infected teeth, squeezing it directly into the blood, directly into the lymph, and also spilling into the gut. So, so it's, it's all wound together, but that's one reason why the peroxide nebulization uh, has just subsequently had such profound effects. You know, when I mentioned the, the patient whose lung cancer just disappeared after two months of nebulization, the thing is, is you gotta remember, uh, the people say, where's the studies? Say, studies cost enormous amounts of money and who's going to spend an enormous amount of money on something that not only costs nothing but even more importantly does away with untold numbers of indications for antibiotics supportive drugs and everything else i mean you're really going to tell a pulmonologist do this hydrogen peroxide nebulization and you're not going to need to give that $50,000 course of antibiotics. Doesn't happen, doesn't work that way. So maybe I went off on another tangent there, but I want to touch those bases for you. It's all good, Dr. Levy. And, uh, and when you mentioned earlier, and this is in relation to what you said now, why, about the ICU and doctors and even nurses, okay? Ah, but but once, once, once most nurses, and I know that because you know I was in the system, once they get all that certifications and degrees, it seems like the education now and the protocol, they only believe it from pharmaceutical companies. You know how when they come around and do some education for us and which at some point became not too ethical and so it was limited. So because um, they don't, I even was wondering when do they go to any like upgraded seminars or anything different? Well, so that's one thing I noticed. So you can't really depend on what, no, what and, they will do. 
And I must confess, when I was in medical school and then doing my internal medicine residency, I'll be honest, at that time, the people that impressed me the most as being just educated beyond my ability to comprehend were the infectious disease specialists. And they would just go on in their differentials and add this antibiotic and subtract this and blah, 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 blah. Do you really think they would embrace any therapy that completely negates the reason for them existing? Mm, no, not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Same thing. It's, it's so it's just, so it's even more significant than it just being a, a therapy of inconsequential expense, mm -hmm. uh, along with the vitamin C, of course, versus what it displaces. Let me say this: my opinion. Hydrogen peroxide nebulization and uh, appropriately dosed vitamin C, along with a balanced supplements, but those are the two biggies. Hydrogen peroxide and, and maybe magnesium. If properly applied, it would do away with at least 70% of all prescription medication. So you have your answer right there. You just need to help who you can, but don't expect for major changes in the medical system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I got to say this, I'm, I'm being far too kind here, but a lot of times they reject something without even realizing why they reject it. What, what I've noticed too, with, with some of the more open-minded docs, those that exist is they won't read the papers you give them. They'll say, no, 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 I don't want to read it. And that's because they say, I don't have the time. No, they don't read it because a little voice in them says, oh, you, might, you might find something there that shows what you're doing is not in the best interest of the patient. So they just, they don't permit it to enter their sphere of cognizance. Yeah. I strongly agree and not like I think like the four of us and many who's been who's who has embraced other ways of being healthy really keeps our minds always open. Now, I, I believe from what I heard from you and my understanding before is that there's a place for the oral vitamin C, the liposome vitamin C, and there's a very strong place for vitamin C IV. And because I, my biologic dentist does, you know, prescribe by vitamin C IV and she takes clients and I almost went with her just before the pandemic, but that was, I was scheduled to go with her to Costa Rica because she's with training from um, dentists, oral dentists, from, I mean, surgeons, dental surgeons from uh, Europe and they were training in Costa Rica and in that center in Costa Rica, they really have three days of infusions of vitamin C. And yes, I know someone who had five implants for half the cost if you're here. And first of all, they did it there because that's where it's embraced. And you know, United States is always late in embracing if they ever, ever embrace anything that will really help people. Well, the last two years, notwithstanding, but before two years, before the last two years, very few countries have the economic status of the United States. So 
the government actually has a motivation to seek out inexpensive ways to give effective health care. In the United States, it's just the opposite. They have no motivation to promote anything that's not costly and only marginally effective. So needless to say, to, and, and this, this uh, trip in, in Costa Rica were participated by really famous um, top biologic dentists around the United States. And it's too bad that there's no one in every state. I wish there's one in every state, but I know there's one in New Jersey, one in New York. So feel free to reach out to us. Now, my, uh, but that, and I am not a dentist, but in my practice, Dr. Libby, as a quantum reflex analysis, and when I learned semi-kinesiological technique from Dr. Robert Marshalls, who is, who I, he was very strong in the vitamin C, I learned how to do an energetic assessment, dividing the oral cavity into four. And with that, you, you can pinpoint where is that potential infection. And that also we could test even the gums or the teeth. So it could be, you know, that. So with that, at least is a beginning where we could lead them and recommend to them the vitamin C. And, the, and with that test, we could also recommend, I know you have, in the studies, it says whatever grams, but in the semi-kinesiological testing, it tailors how many grams for the person. And as you said, it depends on the epigenetic situation of the body, the age, the, the weight, etc. And going back to that, let, let me just ask you, what do you think of the status of the, um, of the GI system? Because I know you said the absorption is also a problem. Now, would you consider that most of our weakness of potential for infection comes from the status of the digestive system of every individual? Well, it's a huge contributor maybe the most important in some people and not necessarily the major importance in other people but this gets back to the rapid virus recovery which is i mean if you look in the drugstores around the country these days i mean they have three or four rows of digestive products nausea vomiting diarrhea constipation i mean there's so much stuff sold to try to ameliorate uh, problems with the gut, which is just an indirect way of saying that everybody's got these gut problems. Well, everybody's got the gut problems because they're swallowing pathogens and toxins 24-7. The point I make in rapid virus recovery is that if you had a cold or a flu 10 years ago, 20 years ago, six months ago, and you completely got over it clinically. So you resolve completely, you feel well, but nowhere in your recovery did you take a potent antiviral or antibacterial agent, depending on what it was you're infected with, to completely kill it. If you just quote unquote relied on your immune system, sick for a few days, got better, you now are colonized with pathogens in your nose and throat for life until you take a specific measure 
importantly, strip off the biofilm and then kill the pathogens. Regular antibiotics, none of them penetrate the biofilm. So, uh, and the thing, the very, very simple thing brought, uh, allowed me to expand on this concept. And that was some, wow, three or four years ago when I was first working with all the chronic problems that I had. And I was doing the research for my magnesium book. And suddenly I saw magnesium chloride nebulization. I'd never thought about nebulization in my life. One thing led to another, but anyway. So I finally got around to doing my first hydrogen peroxide nebulization. Did it for about 10 or 15 minutes the night before. And the next morning, so this I must be, you know, 68, 67 years old. I've spent my time in the bathroom. Okay, so I've, the next morning, I had the most incredible, normal, formed bowel movement of my life, far and away, nothing else. And I, I'm sitting. I mean, I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm puzzled by what's going on. I said, "What on earth happened here?" And then gradually it all unfolded because then I would start to do the peroxide, and then I'd stop for a while, and then the bowels would deteriorate again, and then I'd go back to doing it, and the bowels would be perfect. And I mean, perfect in every sense of the word. I don't want to be indelicate, but this is an important point. Not only is it well formed, but like your like your dog goes in the yard and then comes and jumps up in your lab, you don't get anything on your pants. That's because the, <laughs> cons the consistency of the bob movement is not it, it's well the toilet tissue shows nothing on it. Okay, that's because you've not only changed the formation of it, you've charged with change what's in it. And it's it, it was it was an eye-opener to me. And then I started, and then one of my best friends, Dr. Ron Honeyhack, he doesn't buy me using his name, he uh, he started the nebulization too and he couldn't believe it. And so and so we're the uh the leading two members of the PBM society, the perfect bowel movement. <laughs> No, oh, that's beautiful because I love that. I, I love that part of the body. I love that part of the process. In fact, I usually say that one of the best things in life is to sit on the potty. Oh, just yeah, Mark, Mark Twain had something. I, I can't remember it exactly, but you know, you know there's, there's, I, there's two great things in life, you know, uh, what sex and a good ball movement or something like that. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know exactly how that went, but, uh, but yes, yes, absolutely. The other yeah. thing too is, and I've seen this, uh, I don't have all the feedback yet, but I'm almost certain regular peroxide nebulization will completely resolve 95% of leaky gut, gluten sensitivity, and all the different childhood food allergies, because they all occur because a leaky gut allows poorly digested stuff into the lymph and into the blood. The Intestinal cells that normally are tight together and don't allow anything and that become permeable. Well, what did we talk about? What causes all diseases? What causes all diseases is oxidation. So swallowing the pathogens and the toxins and the pathogens have lots of iron in them. 
So when they die, they release more iron. This keeps the intestinal cells in an oxidized, damaged state, allowing the permeability to be there. But you turn over those cells every three to five days. So the important point there to take away is leaky gut, as I put it together, is not a chronic disease. Leaky gut is a chronically acquired acute disease. Because if you can stop the toxins, go through a couple generations of cells, you've got a normal intestinal epithelium. It doesn't take long to work. And my last statement, and I, you can add more, Dr. Levy, before, before Steve takes over and closes this podcast formally, is that while you were talking about ENT, you know, so I'm just really thinking all the orifices in our body are really crucial, okay? So our eyes, our ears, our nose, our mouth. They're all dealing with the external environment, right? There you go. And then right. so if people could just, and of course the health professionals, that includes regular doctors, could just pay attention to that. And us, of course, because we become our own doctors. That's the most important thing is these things are not isolated for us only once we, okay, but for all of you, as Dr. Levy would say. Thank you, Dr. Levy. And Nick, please come back again next time because there's just so much. We can focus on just oxidation or whatever it is. I'll pass it on to Steve. All right. All right. Wow, that was some helpful information for the general public. And you, your wisdom is boundless. So I recommend everyone Google you, go to peakenergy.com, get your books, read them, because it's a wealth of knowledge that everyone uh, can, can benefit from. And, uh, you know, in this, we talked about you're almost the pioneer of nebulizing hydrogen peroxide and, and uh, its uh, effects on infectious diseases, on maybe restoring gut biome, on reversing disease, uh, on, on balancing pH. So let's not forget, look for, your, look for the information through you. And um, it's very important. So in closing, where can well, they reach let me, you? Let me say yep, this, too. I, you know... I don't know how many people know about Edgar Casey and the information that he received. Now I'm no prophet. I'm no Edgar Casey, but I will tell you this. I've felt for a long time now what the genesis of an idea is, a thought. We think because a thought pops into our head that we produced it. Sometimes that's the case, but I think more often it's a gift. More often you're being given information. Uh, I'll be honest, I did a lot with hypnotism when I was younger, and I do a lot of self-hypnotism, and I just ask for things to be brought to my awareness, and then like three o'clock in the morning, I'll wake up in the middle, and I'll have an idea there. So I consider most of what I've been telling you not so much my ideas as gifts, and I'm trying to do everything I can to pass them along. You know, and I do my best to validate, too. I mean, once I get an idea, quote, unquote, or given an idea, uh, I see how well that idea is supported in the literature. And, God, 19 times out of 20, it's spot on. I mean, it's incredible, too. After you've been doing stuff like this for 10, 15, 20 years, how much you learn 
when you go back and read something you read 20 years earlier because you have a completely different perspective and i mean the pearls start popping out like you can't believe yeah yeah and just to close the simple thing that we're a thread of your experience and knowledge and what we're trying to convey is that if the general public thinks if there's something that could help them uh they'd know about it but that's not the case no not if not not if modern medicine is the screener or the pharmaceuticals or the government yes there you Mm -hmm. go so as unbelievable as it sounds, intravenous vitamin C, nebulizing hydrogen peroxide, learn about it and uh, take control of your health. Dr. Levy, we can't thank you enough. It's, it's www.peakenergy.com. Your books are there. Anything else you want to tell anyone? If Are you going to, you know, anything that well, they need you, to Well, you can feel free to give out my email because uh, I, I don't do consults. So don't give me everything that's going on with you and ask me what to do. But for, for certain questions, I have a lot of information sources. I could put people to it. And it's simply my initials, my last name, MD, T-E-L-E-V-Y-M-D at yahoo.com. And uh, I can uh, I also usually give away uh, a number of free downloads. If you want the That's physical awesome. book, you got to buy it, but I'll, I'll give you a download. Okay. And then rapid... Rapid uh, Virus Recovery is your most recent book. You've written 11 of them, but that's, is that available for free as well? Yes. Okay, fantastic. Can't thank you enough. We'll close it. We're going to see you again, and we're going to save some lives. Thank you, Dr. Levy. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Kulabula, creators of websites, animation, and digital art. To get a 10% discount, go to kulabula.com and put in the discount code AWAKENING. Mm-hmm.